0: Uh, We are in week three of everyday Christianity this morning, and uh, we've been talking about this idea of how do we transform our minds and not just our actions. And so this morning we are going back a little bit into Romans chapter 12, and then I want to spend the rest of our time kind of in some more practical ways this morning as we uh, jump back into the series. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We've said that we are in need of transformation. We've said that everything must be run through the Bible. We've said we have to take thoughts captive uh, out of 2 Corinthians and push them through the lens of the Bible. And so since the Bible is so vital uh, to, well, the series, but ultimately to every one of our lives. Um, We are going to take about two weeks of the series to help us understand what is the Bible, how do you study the Bible, maybe for some this morning as we talk through these issues. Some of this will probably be review for some of you. You're like, yeah, I got that. I've, I've been in church for a long time. I know the thing about the Bible. For others of you, this may be brand new. Um, like you've been told to read your Bible, but you don't really know what that means. Um, you know it's a good thing to do, but you've never really maybe been able to, to navigate through it all. And some, it will be a reminder to get back into reading it. Um, I think for some of us, we just get busy um, and we forget the importance of the Bible. And so we kind of just do life, and we throw a couple things at Jesus along the way and say, hey, if you could help me out here and here and here. And other than that, my schedule's pretty booked. I got my schedule nailed down for the week. And so uh, don't mess with my schedule too much, God, because I got things moving at a good pace right now, I'm heading into school, heading into the thing. So don't mess up my schedule, right? And just kind of life's good and, and, and it's easy. And so uh, this is kind of maybe a reminder for some of us that uh, maybe we need to get back into the Word. I don't know where it's going to strike this morning, but again, if it is what transforms our thinking, then it is, and if it's truly the primary way God communicates to us, and I believe it is, then we need to be able to read it and understand it. And not only that, but even off of last week, it's even more practical because the Bible doesn't just change your thinking, it changes your feelings and your beliefs as well. And so before we dive into how to read it, let me just hit a couple... Um, maybe some myths uh, along the way about what reading the Bible is or does. And uh, I say myth, but let me just kind of be honest and say, maybe they're not myths. Maybe they're just not complete. Does that make sense? So, so maybe they're not always wrong ways or things you've heard about the Bible, but, but maybe sometimes they're just incomplete. And so let me give, give you a couple. Maybe these, you've heard these before as we jump into this, looking at our, our Bibles this morning. Um, one thing you may have heard that uh, reading your Bible will guarantee heaven, okay? Um, That if you read the Bible enough, then God will like you enough, and then the enough will transfer on a scale. He'll take all of your Bible reading you've done on this planet, and he'll heap it onto a scale, and it'll basically kind of say, if you've read enough, then God will kind of be like, cool, heaven's for you. Come on in, okay? And if you haven't read enough, then the skill's going to tip the other way. And he's like, I'm sorry, you were a chapter short. Um, if you would have just put in the extra hour of Devo time, you would have made it, but you didn't. And so I'm sorry, you got to go. And so one thing we may, under, we, we may not say it that way, but sometimes our belief system can be wrong in the fact that we, we read the Bible guarantee heaven. The Bible uh, is clear that reading it does not guarantee heaven. Eternity is not based on the amount of Bible that you read. It is the gospel that saves us. It is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves you. Nothing else saves you. Nothing else is what you can bank on for eternity. And let me just give you a freebie with that. If somebody were to ask you, perhaps me, I've maybe asked you this before, but if somebody were to ask you, what are you banking on for eternity? Um, your only answer is Jesus. Like that's the only time you can throw in the Jesus answer like, and just be like, Jesus? Yes, that is correct. Absolutely. Anything else you put into that is not going to get you to eternity. And so reading the Bible is one of those. So maybe that's one myth. Um, Number two, reading the Bible will be a quick fix, right? Uh, Maybe for you, it's, it's maybe not a good luck charm per se, but maybe we've treated it like that. Like I'm having a bad day, so I'll read my Bible and then things will improve and get better. Uh, or maybe it's just another nice motivational phrase that you need. And so you've had a rough week, and you wake up, and the version app pops up on your screen, and you're like, look! look, he does love me, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying there's more. It's not just kind of a quick fix, like read your Bible, put it away, and everything's gonna be great. Um, that's, that's not really how the Bible works. That's not how God's plan works. He's never promised you that uh, as you just wake up one morning and you get a quick verse, then the rest of your life's gonna be fantastic. That's just unfortunately not the way it works. Um, we, we may treat it as this, as like, I'm sad, so I'll read the Bible about rejoicing and then that'll fix my my problem. I'm anxious, so I'll read Philippians and that'll teach me not to be anxious. I'm mad, so I'll read James and then that will make me not so angry and kind of, but but it's not like this quick little fix that, you know, it automatically just solves all my problems. And for some of you, that may be a relief because for some of you in this room, you've maybe tried it for a long time and you're kind of like, oh, Whew, good, because I thought I broke something. Like, I thought maybe I, I was reading it wrong or, or, or something like that. No, it, it's not always a quick fix, and the Bible is not meant to be that. Number three uh, myth as well is reading the Bible is easy. Um, I was raised this way, um, that in church world, they're always just thought, well, just open up the Bible and just read. It's easy. Anybody can read the Bible. Um Yes and no, uh, because there are a lot of different things in here that we get confused by. There's a lot of things, if you look through Deuteronomy, where you're kind of like, really? Uh, there's some there's pieces and puzzles of this thing that kind of just, it's not always the easiest book to read. We're going to hear why in just a second. So um, we are promised that God will help us through the power of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter Two verses 12 to 13 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by us, given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So that's the cool part is that you have the Holy Spirit. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you to make sense of the Bible. But it's not always easy. Number four, uh, this may be another myth you've maybe heard, but knowing the Bible is the same as being transformed by the Bible, right? Uh, I can know a lot about the Bible or just reading the Bible is the same as being transformed. And uh, again, let me just kind of put that to rest a little bit and why I believe it's it's not maybe wrong, but it's incomplete. Okay, so let me just put it that way. James 2.9, let me, 2.19 says this, And here's why I believe this is a myth, just knowing the Bible doesn't lead to transformation. If you just read it, that it isn't there. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, he says, you believe God is one, you believe the truth of scriptures, that's great. Even the demons believe truth about these things, but they've never gone into the relationship with Christ. They, they, They know who God is probably more than we know who God is, and yet they are not changed, obviously, because they're demonic. Um, Matthew chapter 4, Satan is quoting scripture directly to Jesus. Now, he misquotes, and there's some things along the way, but Satan knows scripture very well. He knows all the things that probably we don't know about scripture. The, The reality is he just doesn't trust Christ because pride's in the way, and there's this whole thing. But just because you know it doesn't mean you're transformed by it. The Pharisees knew it better than any of us do, right? They, they were experts in it. They were matters of the law with the Bible, and yet they missed Jesus. Let's go even further. Paul, who was a PhD in the Old Testament, who could quote chapter and verse from the Old Testament, who could school any of us in the Bible and what he knew and how well he knew it says through Philippians chapter 3, 4 through 6, that even though he knew it, it didn't change until Christ changed him. The Bible is not what changed him. It actually made the situation worse, which is interesting, right? Just reading it made it worse. He says in Romans chapter 7, 10 through 12, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. He says all that reading, all that reading, all it did was put a magnifying glass on my sin. That's what reading the Old Testament did. That's what keeping just the law without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ does. If we just read the Bible without a relationship with Christ, all it does is put a magnifying glass on our sin. And we only can go out of that through a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And, and and just reading it doesn't transform us. It is the power of Christ in us that transforms us. So again, it may sound kind of similar, and I don't want you to come away from this thinking, well, I guess I just don't need to read my Bible. That's not, that's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying just because you're reading it does not always lead to transformation. It is Christ in us that is the transformation. Now, that's, that's for those who are maybe on the fringe of Christianity and those, those that are kind of outside. For those who are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, those who put your full weight into Jesus, the statistics as far as Bible reading are getting less and less. And Bible literacy among the church, not, now I'm not going to pick on all the church people here, not outsiders, but those inside the church, those who profess Christianity, Biblical literacy is on a decline. People know less about their Bibles now than they ever did. In an article, David uh, Newhouse, uh, he writes an article on biblical liter- literacy, and he says, Biblical literacy programs need to do more than produce informed quoters. They need to produce transformed readers. And I think that's the problem. We don't just need more head knowledge. What we need is actual Transformation. We need it to be something that transforms our mind. So if that's true, right, if the myths of those are true, and we have a lot of people who are believing those myths, we have a lot of people who maybe biblically, in the illiterate case, they don't really know a whole lot of the Bible. And this is actually, as a side note, this is actually proved true in a new Barner research that came out a couple years ago. Uh, he says a Barner Col- poll indicated that at least 12% of adults, uh, this is church unchurched, Barnapole indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey, and I, we, we laugh, but I'm telling you, this is this is serious. It gets, it gets better for us in, in Christianity. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by the one and only Billy Graham. Um, and, and again, it's kind of like, uh, really, we are in trouble. If that's, if that's the biblical literacy that we have, that's a problem. And the larger scandal, he says, in biblical ignorance is among Christians. Choose whichever statistic or survey you like. The general pattern is the same. America's Christians know less and less about the Bible, and it's starting to show. So this morning, I want to kind of talk to you about why we need to get back into the Bible and how to study the Bible and get some practical tips along the way this morning. So why? We tend to approach the Bible in different ways. Why why do we need to actually be in it and and how do we actually read it? Well, again, it goes back to some of the myths this morning, but let me give you a couple reasons um, of how some of us approach the Bible. And again, they're not wrong, but maybe they're a little incomplete. And then I want to kind of give us some ways that maybe are a little more complete at the end. Does that make sense? So we're going to hit a couple of things of of how we typically can read the Bible now. And then we're going to kind of learn how do we maybe read it a little better moving forward. So again, this kind of goes back to the the idea of the quick fix, right? Um, And so here's one way we can often read the Bible. I feel down. uh, I need an answer to a question um, how many of you have, and I'm not raising hands cause I, I've, you know, I've done this before, you know, you've Googled, you know, I need a verse on this, right? And we just kind of find the verse and we, we, we apply it to our lives very quickly. I just need a quick verse to pin somewhere, um, some people call this the uh, magic eight ball, where it's kind of like, I just need to know, and I'm going to read a verse, and then, okay, there it is. That's what I should do. Uh, uh, another lady, Jen Wilkin, has called this the Xanax routine. Um, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling down. I need something. So I'm just going to go to my Bible real quick, and I'm going to pop the pill, and then I'm going to feel better about whatever it is that I need in my life. And, and it just doesn't really work, because that's not how the Bible is meant to be read. The other approach that maybe we've tried that is not always helpful is the novel approach. Um, Not like novel as in great, but novel as in a novel. Um, Disciplined people can dive right in, start in Genesis, and work themselves to Revelation. If you're a disciplined person, that is not a problem for you. Well, they said to read my Bible. I'm a very disciplined type person, an organized type person, so therefore I'll start in Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, and I'm going to just keep plowing through the Bible, Revelation, all the way through, and I'm going to get to the end and... The problem is, thinking of the book as a novel, as if reading chapter one and you get to the end of the story, um, you're going to be very confused. Uh, You're going to have a lot of questions. And when you end in Revelation 22 uh, and you get to the end about this great and glorious throne with like seas and all these kind of things walking around, you're going to be like, what? How did... And what is all this weird mess in the middle? Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting approach, but you, really it's, it's not easiest to read as a novel. Um, it's fine, but we'll see the Bible is actually a collection of books written over thousands of years, so it can be a bit confusing. Um, the other one I'll pick on a little bit, and I'm with you. The U version way. Uh, I wake up, see what the U version has for me that day, read it, and then file it away as quickly as I can to move on to emails or texts or social media or a morning cup of coffee, and, and I feel good because I've read the Bible, and that's great. But it's incomplete. Um, last but not least, I think one of the ways that um, I really worry about for us at community, um, this is a personal one for me that I feel I I, I want to figure out ways that. I can challenge us better as a church family. Uh, and it's called Leave it to the Professional. Um, and, and here's what that approach looks like. Well, uh, so-and-so said that's what this means, so therefore it must be what it means. Um, let me just be honest, and I, I feel like we, we have community groups starting again in September. Yay! Uh, I'm so excited for those to come back. Um, and those are kicking back up in September, and we base them off of the sermon. It's great. You get to talk about things we talk about here. Here's my only concern with that. And I haven't found a better approach, so I'm not changing it. But um, my, 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 my concern with that is sometimes you get all Joel. Well, Joel said that's what it means. So therefore, that's what it means. That's nice. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, it helps the ego. But that's not always helpful. Because if we're not looking at the word of God through its lens of scripture and asking Christ to clarify for us, if we all turn into a bunch of repetition of what Joel said, that's not healthy for any pastor to, well, he said that, so that must be the way it's going to be, okay? Leaving it to the pros is easy because they, they told me and then I just get the answer, um, there may have been a few of you in this room that you've asked me a biblical question and I haven't given you maybe a direct answer. And, and my, my wife was, was huge with this, still is with this, that um, if somebody asks a biblical question, she's like, I don't know, what do you think? What's it say in scripture? Where is that at? You've heard that, that's awesome. Um, tell me, where's that in scripture? Well, the Bible says this. Well, where does it say that? And instead of just giving you the direct answer, and some of you, this may frustrate you to no end, just tell me, just tell me what you believe on this issue. I would love to, but I want you to kind of figure it out because we can't just leave it to the pros, right? That's what got the Pharisees in trouble because they just ran to the Pharisees and said, whatever the Pharisees say, whatever they say works. And so that's a tension that I feel like we have to wrestle with at Community Bible churches, just because it's spoken here. Yes, we want to hear that. We want to honor um, that God has put a pastor there in front of you. Yes, that's awesome. But at the same time, if we're not willing to do the legwork and actually pursue the Bible on our own, it's leaving it to the pros, and we don't want that here. We want you to be able to, to disagree. We want you to be able to have different things said. And, and even this fall, we're going to talk about the life of Jesus again. There are going to be some things that hopefully in your groups, you're going to be like, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, and that's good because you're finding it on your own. So um, those are some different things I feel like are not so helpful. Um, let me tell you what is helpful, and let me just explain a little bit of the Bible uh, and, and maybe a better way of reading it this morning, and we'll continue it into next week, okay? So number one, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We talked about that. That's a big truth you have to understand. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. We are promised that He is in us, and He will bring these things to light. He'll make sense of them, which is why if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and a non-believer can read something like this in the scriptures and they can read it, and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. But then when you accept Christ and you read it, the same passage, the same verse, you're like, oh, that's what that means. The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Number two, the Bible is in Second Timothy 3.16. I think we've all heard this before, um, but let me just reiterate, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? So we we know the Bible is is the word of God. We know that it is helpful. We know the Holy Spirit's there. We know it does these actions of teaching, correction, training, and righteousness. But did you also realize that the Bible is even better than that? And and here's what I want to do together as we um, look at this together. Take your Bibles, if you would. Psalm chapter 19. And uh, verses 7 to 11 is where we're going to kind of just read from this morning. But I want to do it a little differently because I think so often we can just read um, versus letting what's being spoken from the authors here um, hit us a little closer to home. Let it kind of just sit. Because I think as we've talked to all these different ways, we can just be like boom, 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 boom. But if the Bible is going to transform us, we need to sit in it a little longer and not just be so quick to move on. So Psalms chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 11. It will be on the screens if you didn't have a Bible with you. Um, but verses 7 to 11, and here's what I'm going to do. We don't typically do this, but I'm going to ask us all to stand. And um, I want you to find that passage, and I want us to read this aloud. And I know this is kind of, we don't normally do this, but, but I thought this would be good for us to do. Because we often, again, can just, Joel just goes at a mile a minute up there and he just kind of blows through the passage. I want us to take some time as a church body and just read, okay? I want us to read at a pace that's slower than what I preach and allow this to just be uh, encouraging to us about what the Bible is. So read along with me. I'm gonna slow it down. I want us all to read it together. Verse 7, we begin there. Um, Probably the easiest thing is to follow along in yours, unless you have ESV, and then there's a bunch of weird things happening. You ever done that before? Everybody reads, and then one guy's in an NLT, one guy's in an NASB, and then the other guy's in the message, and then you're kind of like, where are we at? Okay, so just kind of follow along on the screen, uh, and we will go uh, with that. This is the, actually the CSB up here, not even ESV. So I threw you off even more right? like that, right? So you're like, wait a second. Okay, so let's just go from the screens. You can follow along in your Bibles, but I think the CSB reads a little better. So we'll read from here. Here we go. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Very nice. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. I think it's important sometimes to just sit and read scripture. I love that he says your your scriptures should let your eyes light up. It should be sweeter than honey. I've been putting um, honey in my coffee lately. It's a thing. You've got to try it. It's fantastic. And, and it's just the right amount of sweetness. And I've been craving these iced coffees from the house now because I just, you know, load up the honey. And I somehow think it's better than sugar. It's probably not. But it's just, it's so good, right? And it's just, I'm like, oh. And, and I think, how often do I approach the Bible as like, man, I just cannot Wait to see what God has for me today. And I cannot wait to see how He's going to transform me because I'm in His Word. So the Bible is yes, the Holy Spirit helps us. Yes, the Bible is Scripture and God breathes. But the Bible is feeling. The Bible is emotion. The Bible is renewing of life for us. The Bible is, to put it simply, transformation. The Bible is transforming our minds to be more like Jesus. James 1, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so if the Bible transforms us, right, if we realize that it does more than just reading only, it transforms us, let me just kind of start then with how do I then specifically read in a way that transforms instead of a way that just kind of makes it academic, And here we're just going to start this week, and then we're going to go into next week a little more practical, okay? So here we go. Uh, First, the Bible in Greek means books. So here's where we're going to get into some more classroom type stuff. But the Bible itself, if you ever picked up the Bible and it says Bible on the front somewhere or in gold somewhere the word Bible in Greek actually is just meaning books, okay? So if you ever wondered, where did we get the name Bible? Why do we have Bible? That's what it means. It is just books, because that's what the Bible is, not just one book, but a collection of books. And again, you may know this, but it's a collection of um, 66 books, and there are 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and in your Bible, they're divided very easily for you because you see all the front and they're all collected there. And then on the back end, they're all collected there. And it's nice and it's neat and it's easy, but I think we often forget how we got what we have. And so let me just kind of explain a little bit why what you have is important. So first off, we get the old from the Jewish prophets being um, under the inspiration of God. The Old Testament and the Tanakh are different from each other only in punctuation and order of books and emphasis. So here's what I mean by that. We have an Old Testament from the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith would have our Old Testament and they have word for word what we have. Their punctuation is different. Their order of books is different. But what they would call it is called the Tanakh. And so I'm going to slide here for you to kind of show you what that is. Uh, in the Tanakh, they basically, this would be the Jewish Old Testament, okay? And so they would start with, it's an acronym, so the T represents Torah, and that's the law, so that's the first five books of the Old Testament. The Naive, Naive is the prophets, and that's the end of the Tanakh, Is another, you know, acronym, so T, N, and then uh, the K is all the Ketuvim, which is the writings. And so In the writings, you have from Psalms to Proverbs to Job all the way through, and you kind of see that their Bible is laid out differently than than your Bible is laid out, but all of the writings are are in there. Along with those, um, they would also have a couple other extra books. We're going to get to that in just a second, but slide number two then, if that's the Jewish Old Testament, in your Bible, we have uh, what's called the Old Testament, and ours is broken down a little differently. Ours is known as the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. Same as the other. But then we also have the history books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, which we were just in, in the life of David, and so on. And then we have the wisdom books, and those are grouped together in groupings. Uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophets. And all the prophets are from like Isaiah in your Bible to the New Testament, okay? So from Isaiah on is all the prophets in your Bible. Now, It helps us because they're grouped and all the people who put the Bibles together, way back and Jerome and others... They put them together in these groupings for us to make sense. But here's what you may not understand is that just because they're grouped together does not mean they were written in order. And so the book of Job, for instance, was actually written about the time of Genesis. And so if you were to kind of read chronologically, you'll probably, given a chronological study, they would say, okay, start Genesis, then read Job. Why do I need to Job? Because they're written about the same time frame. And so, again, if you just open your Bible and you don't understand these things, it can get confusing. And so I want to help us to kind of make sense of these so that we can have a better accurate reading of Scripture. So you have the Pentateuch history, wisdom, and prophets, and then you have the New Testament, okay? And they put the New Testament in, in, in Scriptures after the Old, and it was translated. And I'll tell you that in a second. The New Testament is obviously the Gospels, Acts, and then you have Paul's letters, which is Romans to Philemon, and then you have the general letters of Hebrew and Jude, uh, and then you have Revelation. So there's eight of the general letters, 13 by Paul, one by, uh, we're kind of not really sure, Acts, and then four uh, by the Gospels. And each of the four Gospels, we're going to talk about this next week, each of the four Gospels is like a different video angle uh, on the sports field. And so one angle is going to show you one end of the sports field, the other one's going to show you another angle, and you're going to talk about it a little bit more next week as we kind of understand the Gospels and other books next week. But for this week, the Bible is Old Testament, New Testament, borrowed from the Jewish faith, and then you have this weird question that comes up in our Bibles, okay, Joel, that's great, but what about my Bible that I grew up from the Catholic Church, and it's got these extra books? What do we do with those, right? Right? Because I got this thing, and it's sometimes called the Apocrypha. Uh, where did those come from? What are those all about? Okay, so those books were actually part of the old original Jewish uh, Tanakh, and and many of them were just, in, they believe, were just helpful readings from the time of the Jewish scriptures. And then there was this big discrepancy whether or not those pieces from the Jewish scriptures should make their way into the Bible that we have today in Protestantism. And the books of the Apocrypha from Tobit, Judith, Esther, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, they were basically in this canon-type conversation, which we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But in this discussion, they were matched against all these other books in your Bibles to test for accuracy, to test for whether they measured up with the rest of history, and, and they found that there were some errors and things, and they feel like, no, these are not as, these are not inspired as the uh, other ones are. And so you'll see, some even in the Jewish faith will read from Maccabees, or Esther, or Tobit, but they will not, for, for lack, lack of a better word, be inspired, as we've seen, as far as the, what we have in front of us is Pentateuch history, wisdom, for all, those kind of things. So, can I read them? That's always a question, right? So, so if I read them, is that bad? I'm like, sure, you can read them. Read them all you want. Um, there, there's, there's some interesting stories in there. Um, there's like clay pigeons and the whole thing. And uh, I have a Bible that has these in them, and I've read through them before. And But here's what I don't do. I don't take those as the Word of God because I firmly believe that what God has inspired is inerrant and without, a- and, and, and so because of that, I, you know, don't put that on the same level as what's in here. And so that's maybe some confusion you've had before, but that's where we have these things called the Apocrypha. Now, you can talk with me about that. I have a lot of questions too in that. But I think the important thing for us to understand is as God has put this thing together, He has put this thing together for such a purpose as yes, individual books, yes, Old Testament, New Testament. But here's the reality of the Bible. Here's if you get nothing else this morning, here's the reality. All of the Old Testament and all the New Testament all point to one central thing, and that is the cross. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of them are pointing towards a Messiah, a one who would come and make things right, that the Son of God would arrive on the scene and he would change the world. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament is pointing us towards Jesus, one pastor said, every sermon you preach should be preached in a way that points to Jesus because all of scripture points to Jesus. And so if everything in scripture points to Jesus, everything we say from the front should be pointing us to Jesus. And that is the grand narrative from Genesis 1 in the garden and relationship with God and severed and broken to the end in Revelation 21 and 22, that the end is finally there. And again, perfection is found again. All of it still points to Jesus, and all of it was designed by God himself to point us to Jesus, and we're going to talk about specifics next week. Last little caveat as we talk about knowing your Bible. I don't want us to, I think we live in a day and age where we we have them on our screens, we have them at access wherever we want, and they're just easy, right? I can pull it up whenever I want to, I can listen to it on audio, I can do the whole thing, And I can just have it. Here's what I don't want us to miss, though. The history of what you have in front of you came at a very, very high cost. Jerome, in 400 AD, was the first to translate the entire Bible into Latin. Up until that point, Nobody else had access to it. The early church kept it from, from common people like us and would not let us do it because they're the ones that needed to protect, protect and preserve scripture. So it was Aramaic and Greek. Hebrew at the very beginning, and they said they kept them in the original things, and nobody was allowed to do it until Jerome came in. And Jerome says, no, I think everybody should have access to it. And Latin was like the layman's kind of language. It was kind of the commoner kind of language. Everybody kind of spoke Latin. And so Jerome was the first to translate the entire Bible. Can you imagine that? Chapter, verse, verse by verse, section after section, nuance after nuance. Is it a he? Is it a she? Is it a, is it a plural? Is it a singular? And all these translations to get us the entire Bible in Latin. And he did so at the cost of his own life. Later uh, from here, he, uh, we see a guy named Wycliffe who translates from that Latin into English. And even that was very controversial And he ended up losing his life because of this translation to give us this English Bible. And then you have a guy named Tyndale who basically took all three of Jerome, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the English, and he combined all those, and he gave us basically what's in front of us is the NIV and other things. And even Tyndale later in his, he, he, he even faced persecution trying to get us the word of God in our hands. And so as we are about to dive into it more, I don't want us to miss the risks of lives to get us the word of God in our own hands. Don't miss that today, even in 2019, there is great risk in trying to get the Bible into certain countries, no, there are a lot of countries. I think there's like 2000 plus that do not have access to the word of God still. Isn't that crazy? You think it's 2019. Well, how could they not? There are about 2000 languages that do not have access to the Bible in their language. That's crazy. How is that possible? Did they not own Google Translate? Let I me mean, just throw it in there. Like they're just not available to them. And so we have this in our hands and we can take it for granted and I don't want us to do that this morning. So as we take this seriously, as we approach it, let me give you one last thing this morning, and that is to teach you this, this fun word called exegesis, and it's basically just how do I look at a passage of Scripture and understand it better, and then we're going to put it into practice next week, okay? So this week's just the intro. Next week, we're going to put it into practice, but here's what I want you to do. Whenever you open up to a certain passage, let's just pick... Um, for sake of this morning, let's go into Matthew chapter 17, per se. And in Matthew chapter 17, there's the transfiguration. And in chapter 17, it's the story of Christ as he meets with the inner three, and they're up on this mountaintop. And there's a bunch of things happening. We're not going to dive into it today. We're actually going to dissect something next week. But here's what I would want you to look for. And I, I put this in your notes so that you can have this. So you can kind of put this next to whatever passage you're studying. And ask some questions along the way. Not just, how does this help me today? How does this fix my problem today? The Bible is not this self help kind of little pill you pop. It is meant to be transforming, and transformation takes time. So here's what I want you to do. If you've never done this before, I think this would be helpful. So if you have a passage like Matthew 17, and you look at verses 1 through 13, Okay, so it's one story. It's the story I'm going to center on. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the context of what is in that story. Number one, you're going to be looking for what. Am, what you're going to look for? Who is talking? Okay, that's important. You're going to see that this is written from a specific viewpoint, a certain camera angle. So you need to ask, who's talking? Who is being talked about? Okay, what's the story actually entail? What is the subject, and is there a main point? okay? Is there a main point to this transfiguration? And if so, what is the main point? Is there one verse that the author is trying to get us to understand here? And if so, what is it? You're also going to be looking for where is this taking place, especially as you look at the Gospels. This is huge. Um, Remember the, this is a freebie, remember the uh, story where Christ talks to Peter and he says, upon this rock I will build my church, right? Many of us know that story and we know the significance that Peter was the one that started the book of Acts and things like that. What many um, archaeologists people, and, and actually people have studied the passage, there are some translators who say that that was actually spoken at the time when Jesus was by this huge place that was known as the rock in, in the area that was there, not... Rock, but, but the rock was actually a place, and it was an actual church building that was there. And somebody, some people believe that as he was walking by this place, that he actually used it as a visual, which he often does to say, upon this rock, not that rock, but a rock as a visual. So it's just kind of fun. So where is this taking place is, is fun. You'll look at Jesus' life. Why did he do this on the lake? Why did he do this on the hill? Why is this, where is this taking place? The atmosphere of the text, uh, this is kind of maybe a new one for some of us, but here's what that means. Um, what, what, what's the atmosphere of the people? Are they confused? Are they angry? Uh, we, we looked at this in David, um, the atmosphere of David and Bathsheba. Remember how we said the story slowed down in that chapter and the narrator kind of used some different language and some different verbiage there and, and he starts to kind of paint a picture that's different. So, so the atmosphere is important. What's happening in the atmosphere of the text? Are they confused? Are they angry? What's the feeling? And then are there repeated words or phrases that come up? This is really helpful when you get into the letters. Um, confusing words. Are there things that are confusing and what is confusing about the text? Are there themes in the chapter? And this is a fun one too. If you look at the book of Luke, the guy loves to write chapters that are themed. Uh, You'll look at one chapter and he talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and and, and he talks about all these things about salvation and and lostness. And and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. So he threw all those stories together, not because that happened, but because he's trying to paint a theme. And he's trying to create a theme in this chapter. And you're gonna look at some of those things. And then last but not least, um, we read patiently because we realize that if we're going to be transformed, it's going to take time to understand it. It's going to take time to dive into these passages together. So who's talking atmosphere? Where is this taking place? These are just basics for you as we talk about how to understand your Bible. Next week, Come next week, and we're actually going to dive into a text, and we're going to do it together. It's going to look different. We're not going to have, like, a sermon preaching at you. It's actually going to be very different. We're all going to kind of gather around some passages. We're going to kind of dissect a little bit because I want you to understand how to read your Bible in a way that's helpful. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, some of you guys are like, yes. Others of you guys are like, well, next week we'll be on the lake. Um, okay, I, I, I know, I get it, but, but, but please, I, pro- I promise you next week will be helpful to you. It'll be encouraging to you next week as we do that because we all need it. So uh, as we close, um, I asked Rich to come and, and kind of lead us in, in a song that's newer uh, to us. And uh, it, it's this phrase that talks about having the Holy Spirit in us. That there's this, this fire within us that is, that is burning within us called the spirit and it's, and and he is there to help illuminate scripture and, and to transform us and help us make decisions. Here's what I know about you and I want me as we close. Here's what here's what I know about us. We are when it comes to life. We are consumers with an appetite for distraction. We are by nature as Americans consumers with an appetite for distraction. I get that. Reading the Bible is hard to a, a culture that is distracted by everything. The stats um, out there right now is that we as Americans check our phones every four minutes. Every four minutes. Check your, you, you can pick it up on your, on your iPhones. Just look at your screen time. Just look. It'll tell you your last pickups. Okay, um, That's 180 times a day. Just whoop. And, and here's what it also will tell you on your screen times. So I've done this before. It'll tell you what your first touch is, right? And I'm like, oh, mine was my email. Um, not the Bible. It was just right into the email. Every morning, just distracted, distracted, distracted. Swipe, distracted, swipe, distracted. We are consumers with an appetite for distraction. And because of that, we throw the word of God into the other distractions. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot. I got to read my Bible this week. Uh, I'll do that. I'll cram it. and I'll get done. I'm going to ask us as a church for this week and next week that we would, we would fight the distraction a little bit. And here's how we're going to do that. We're not going to ask you to throw your phones away because they're evil. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm just going to help. And we just thought, maybe what if we just put a little tool on there, just a way to kind of help us and remind us. And so what we did, I had, ask, I had Ashley make a, uh, a picture of this with a, a verse from Psalm uh, 19 on it. And it was this idea that well, let's, let's just put that out there. And so if you go to our website... I know, and you're like, oh, wow, website, I'm get distracted again. Uh, if you go to our website, and if you go there, there's underneath, this, is it sermons, is that correct? It's on the homepage now. So you just go to the homepage, and you download the picture, and you can use it as a lock screen. And when you put it on your lock screen, what it does is every time it pops up, it's going to have this graphic, but it's also going to verse about the goodness of the Bible. And every time we pick it up, I want it just to be a reminder as we pick these things up and be like, hmm, okay. So I need to be slowing down. I want to interact with the Bible because it changes me, okay? And I know it's not going to be this change-all, be-all. I'm the cynic in the room with you. Oh, great. Now i got a lock screen. That's going to change my world, right? It, it's not. But it is a tool and a tool to remind us of the goodness of the Word of God We just said that it's like honey dripping from a honeycomb. We just said it is meant to transform us. And if we are not in it as a church, can I just tell you, we are gonna go so many different directions we don't need to go. But if we are in the word of God, it will transform our minds as we meditate on it every day. I'm gonna challenge us in that over the next week. How do we do that? Simple way may just be a simple reminder. As I pick up my phone, as I download that, put it on my phone, Every time I pick it up, instead of my first swipe being to whatever it is, I pick it up, my lock screen says, oh, man, yeah. Word of God. The Word of God. It's God in my foundation. As we sing this song, it will be new. So maybe the lyrics maybe just kind of listen. The chorus will be easy to pick up on. But I think it was just a good way, as we talk over the next two weeks of the Bible, that we have the Spirit living in us, bringing out the praise of God. And so I'm going to have Rich play this as we close out and have you stand with me. And uh, let me pray for us as we finish out.